This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is another Fear Free podcast in your series of podcasts. I'm your host, Steve Dale, and honored to speak with Dr. Vicki Carmella, Dr. Britannia Jones. Both are with Blue Buffalo, Dr. Carmella, Director of Scientific Affairs, and Dr. Jones, Director of Technical Services East. So there must be a Director of Technical Services West and North and South. Is that right? Uh, East, Central, and West. Ah, okay. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. And, you know, this is something that I really want to focus on. I've been talking about this for years, that anytime, anytime a client happens to be in the room with you, in the exam room, there's two things that ought to be asked about automatically. Make that three things. How the family is of the client or something that is something you would not necessarily think Think about it. it has nothing directly to do with the pet, but it kind of allows an opportunity for establishing or reestablishing the relationship with that client. I think that's really important. And meanwhile, if the pet parent is upset about whatever's been going on with the pet, or maybe the pet isn't happy about being in the clinic, which should not be the case in a fear-free clinic, right? Because that should be addressed, but reality is reality. It gives time, even if it's only 30 seconds. That's all that matters. So that's one thing. Also, to address any behavioral changes and to address diet. And today I want to focus on the diet part of that. I assume you both agree, but why is diet so important? Why am I saying this? And if you agree, why do you agree? I I suppose I can start with you, Dr. Jones. Well, it it gives us you know, another tool to evaluate the pet's health. But it also gives us a picture into how that pet's life is at home. Um, you know, we we want to make sure that the pet parent is feeding the appropriate diet for the life stage, for the species, um, and for the energy intake of that uh, particular patient. And like any other tool, it can be used to help prevent uh, other conditions. So, by monitoring this and having that discussion, one of our goals is help, to help prevent that pet from becoming overweight, which then reduces the likelihood of several other health issues that can be related to that. So it, it's a picture into the home and, and what's going on when we don't see the pet. Well, Dr. Carmela, there are so many myths out there regarding diet. And people are so passionate about what they believe. They believe what they believe because they saw it right there on that website, Aunt Martha's website or whatever website it is. How do you have those conversations when you need to bust through those myths? Yeah, Steve, you know, that's a really good question. And when I was in practice full time, I often struggled with talking with my clients about what they were feeding because there are just so many options out there. And there's so many different food and feeding philosophies and nutritional philosophies that people have for themselves and especially for their pets. You know, we think about it and veterinarians are the number one source of recommendations um, for pet owners to choose their pet's food. And not only that, but pet parents, pet owners, 
are three times more likely to be compliant with a recommendation from their veterinarian than from any other trusted resource. So I think it's really important that as professionals, we educate ourselves about what the options are out there and um, understanding what our clients want and what they're choosing to feed their pet. So um, I think it's our job as veterinarians to guide them against myths that may not be true. Um, and also to understand that they may have certain beliefs and there are really efficacious, sound, wholesome, um, nutritional options out there to meet the both and so that you're getting exactly what you recommend as a veterinarian and what I would recommend for a patient, but also that and portion. So meeting the needs of what the owner has uh, in terms of what their nutritional or feeding philosophy may be. Yeah. But, you know, Dr. Jones, people come to you with these ideas that they have in their mind, and then you can do everything that Dr. Carmela said, but then people may go to these experts, the guy with all those tattoos that bags all the pet food at the pet store, or that woman at the dog park who's always been at the dog park with her dachshunds, and she's always had dachshunds. So she's got to know everything about dogs, specifically dachshunds, because she's always had dachshunds. I mean, people do listen to their veterinarian, but many veterinarians think, and rightly so, It's and, and I understand it, like, they're not going to listen to me anyway. They're going to go back to that website. Or they think, I'm not a salesperson, so I really don't want to push, quote unquote, a pet food. How do you respond to that? Well, I I never um, say anything negative about where they get their information from. But instead, I incorporate the information I have for their pets specifically. So I can say, you know, yes, if you know, the dog is a, a dachshund that I can, you know, for in general, for most dachshunds, yes, that might be a good recommendation. However, for your dachshund, with what I'm seeing on the physical exam and, you know, uh, his health history, I think we need to go to this different option because of X, Y, and Z. So we can bring reasons to our recommendation that their general, um, whoever it is that they're, they've received recommendations from, don't have. And yes, they could be very knowledgeable about a specific breed, but that doesn't mean they're really knowledgeable about the individual patient that we're talking about. So when you can individualize, you know, with examples, maybe excess weight, maybe um, a health condition, whatever, then it makes it specific for that patient, you know, for your doxy, this is what I think is best. And it's going to, you know, give us a, a longer, happier life for him. Well, I think you made a mistake there because I think you said, I heard you say your dachshund or your doxy. I don't know. I've never met a dachshund owner. I mean, they're like potato chips. Uh, every dachshund owner I know has like two or three of them. I don't know. I don't know why, but that seems to be the case. Uh, so let, let me ask you about lifestyle, if I can. Uh, so, Dr. Carmela, how important is it to consider the dog's lifestyle, the pet parent's lifestyle, and the whole family? Okay, let's say, let's say that family consists of two 85-year-olds as opposed to a household where you have parents and five kids that are all between the age of six and 14. Uh, 
are the recommendations different dependent on all of that? Do you put that whole picture together or try to? You know, Steve, that's a really good point. And as someone with three small children in my house, I often say that despite all of my training and knowledge and education in um, the nutrition world, my dogs still live on 5% goldfish that my kids drop every day. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I absolutely think lifestyle is critical to understanding and meeting the needs of our pets and our patients. Um, particularly dogs more so than cats, because uh, we tend to see a lot of indoor cats. And so there's not a lot of differentiation in terms of, um, you know, calorie needs other than unique metabolism for an individual cat, but we're not seeing cats that are out, you know, hiking and biking in (laughs) in general. So so I'm going to focus this conversation mostly on dogs in this regard. And I think one, lifestyle is important because we need to understand overall what those dogs caloric needs are in terms of their daily intake. So certainly, you know, life stage plays a part as Dr. Jones mentioned, but understanding what they're, um, you know, how many calories are they burning on a daily basis? How active are they? And what's realistic in the realm of managing that patient overall? So, you know, if you mentioned if if a particular pet has elderly parents, they're going to be less likely, and and I don't mean to speak in general generalizations, um, but maybe they have some restrictions in terms of exercising. They won't be out, you know, running a mile with their dog every day, for example. So if we're um, dealing with a, a weight issue or a weight management situation, we're going to change the caloric Um, the daily caloric needs of that pet based on what they're doing every day and what their activity is and what their household looks like. And then what other sources of treats? Are they getting goldfish like my dogs are Uh, or teddy bear crackers or anything else that happened to fall on the floor? Um, So that's certainly going to play a part in putting together their overall nutritional plan and recommendation. What about body condition scoring? Now, that's a term that's been bantied about uh, more than a little bit, right, you know, in the popular press. For pets, how important is that and how important is that you keep good tabs on that? So even for that minuscule percent of pet parents that actually puts their pet on a scale, I argue one of so many reasons, so, so many reasons why twice a year, I'll say it again, twice a year, I mean that, visits are important for any pet, not necessarily solely, not, 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 not necessarily, but not only senior pets, but any pet twice a year. So at least you can gauge on trends that are going on. So talk to me about weight, talk to me about body condition scoring. Body condition scoring is essential. And, you know, there has been a lot of research done in terms of uh, what is ideal. And I think as veterinarians, we um, have a duty to truly understand what is what is normal, right? Um, there was a study several years back where veterinary professionals looked at different animals and they were gauging what their body condition score was. And in that research study, it pointed out that veterinarians often had different opinions about the same animal. So um, we just have to make sure that we stay up to date and we truly know what a body condition score of five out of nine, for example, which would be ideal, truly is. 
And then we have to teach our owners how to gauge that, you know, teach. I, I always, when I'm in a room with a client and I always say, let's look at their, you know, the, their last rib and their flank area and let's look at their inset. And that's how we're going to help to gauge um, if they're staying where they need to be in terms of an ideal body condition score. So, uh, Dr. Uh, Jones, I, I want to ask you about fast forwarding to, I mean, most of our pets statistically are seniors now. Uh, so I want to look at those senior pets for a moment. How important is nutrition in relating to senior dogs and not only their body condition score as we look at the definition of what body condition scoring is, but also muscle mass to ensure that that animal is not becoming cachexic? And it is very important. Um, their uh, ability to digest food changes as they age. So as they get into more advanced years, they're not producing the digestive enzymes that they were when they were, uh, you know, an adult that's active and, and still uh, quite active. They, with that change in the body's production of enzymes can mean that the dog or the cat is going to lose body condition score in lean muscle mass just because they're not getting as much out of their food. So um, while a weight can be valuable information, it's more valuable when it's put in the context of body condition score and lean muscle mass. When we find that they're losing muscle mass, um, but their appetite is still good and perhaps their blood work is still good, then we know that we can either look to finding a more digestible diet or to utilizing some other um, maybe uh, enzymes topically on the diet to help them get the most out of their food. So you're exactly right. The animal may look the same to the owner's eyes, but when you lay hands on that animal and you're feeling for the rib cage and you're feeling for the muscle mass, um, and especially if you're doing this at every visit, you can see the changes that are happening over the period of that animal's life. And that's what, you know, you can say, hey, you know, we're starting to see this. Um, let's change something nutritionally, if necessary, to address that and make sure that we try to maintain them in the best uh, muscle mass and body condition score as possible. So it's very valuable, not only for us, but it, it helps the owner know where their pet is, and they can help monitor that pet at home as well. Uh, Dr. Carmela, I know that cancer is really important to the folks at Blue Buffalo, trying to fight the best we can, and also encouraging to learn more about it. And one thing we've learned is that oftentimes a pet will not be as interested in food if the pet even has the very, very, very most early signs of certain types of cancer. And also being anorexic, and that may be too strong of a term here, not as interested as was once the case in food, can also be, I believe, signs of any number of other possibilities. Is this another reason why I'm guessing, I'm guessing you would advocate those twice a year visits so you can ask these sorts of questions of the pet parent and then do further appropriate blood work or whatever needs to be done? Absolutely, Steve. You know, Blue Buffalo has raised over $30 million to fight pet cancer, and that's gone directly into research and to helping pet owners afford treatment for their pets that are plagued by different cancers where they otherwise 
might not have been able to afford treatment. So it's definitely something near and dear to our hearts at Blue Buffalo. And yes, absolutely. You know, those, as you mentioned, twice a year visits are just so critical. Early detection of diseases, cancers and other diseases are how we're going to best fight them and also best prevent future disease incidents. So every six months, I like to see my patients when I'm in practice. Absolutely. And do you see and, that being advantageous? Have you noticed the difference in those patients, those clients, as compared to the ones who say, no, I'll just come in when the pet is sick? Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes that's a really good time to have a nutrition discussion when you're not there for the other things that you would normally take your pet in for. So, for example, if they come in on an annual basis for their vaccines, doing that mid-year check allows you time with clients to have conversations, more in-depth conversations about lifestyle, nutrition, what has changed? Is your dog or cat becoming more finicky, as you said, Steve? And then you're looking for, um, you know, the potential to do other diagnostic testing. But then you also have the opportunity to offer solutions mid-year instead of waiting 12 months to know that there's early signs of an issue happening. Uh, Dr. Jones, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have said, when I say, how much do you feed your dog? It comes up for whatever reason, or cat for that matter. And they say, uh, about the same amount every day, or I don't know, or uh, it's I, I just pour it from the bag and it's I fill the bowl up. Uh, those don't seem to be the right answers, but they seem to be common answers. <laughs> as long as they're honest answers, we can build from it. <laughs> Uh, you know, that this is one of the things where veterinary um, conversations are so important because of that very reason. Nobody tells them when they get a puppy or a kitten that they really need to be measuring the food and that they need to be using an eight ounce measuring cup or for a cat, maybe a quarter uh, cup measuring uh, utensil to know what they're feeding and that it's better to feed a set amount of calories per day rather than just every time the bowl is empty. Um, and so, you know, and they may, what they think they're feeding and what they're actually feeding are sometimes very different. They may say, oh, I give them four cups, but then you have to ask, what exactly are you measuring with? Because it may be a red Dixie cup or it could be a <laughs> yeah. Slurpee cup, you yeah. know? Yep. So, um, and it is important because, you know, it, especially with a pet that has put on some weight, just drawing their attention to how they're actually feeding the pet can make a lot of difference. And it may never necessitate a change in diet. It, you know, if we just draw their attention to it and say, okay, this is what we're targeting, you know, for his ideal body weight, it should be 400 calories a day. 40 of that can be treats, but the rest of it needs to be from his food. And that equal, you know, equates to two and a half cups of what you're feeding. If we don't give them that type of information, then they're left at their own to guess. And nobody does really well with guessing. So, um, you know, and even information about who does the feeding, you know, anybody who walks in the kitchen and sees the bowl is empty, do they automatically fill it up? You know, so there's a lot of information there. Um, and it, it's, you know, nobody is willfully uh, trying to be negligent in how they feed their animals. They just 
were never given the you know information they needed. So um, it's great to be able to help them identify risk factors nutritionally and something as simple as what they're using to measure the food and how they're doing their feeding, what target KCALs can be so valuable. All right, so I'll ask each of you this question, Dr. Carmela, that you can go first. Uh, we just had this long conversation. If you had to say, all right, here's one thing that I want you to communicate to clients regarding nutrition, what would it be? Well, that's difficult because there's so many things, but I think I would build on what Dr. Jones just mentioned and really to give specific daily requirements for each of your pets. And it's so easy to do. There are several online calculators, members um, of VIN, uh, Pet Nutrition Alliance, there's several different places that as professionals, we can go to make that calculation. With every patient I see, I like to send home a printout of this is what your pet needs from a daily caloric intake. And know that every pet has a different metabolism. So even if on a bag of food, it says that a 40 pound dog or a 10 pound cat should eat this amount, know that there's going to be individual discrepancies. Um, and it's really important that as veterinarians, we continue to work with our patients and make sure that we're meeting their needs from a nutritional standpoint, especially as they grow and change and reach different life stages. Dr. Jones, same question for you, although you in part just answered that, I suppose. Well, and I think it's important to know we can prevent so many health conditions just by having that pet maintain a healthy body weight. And there was a great study done about 12 years ago with Labradors, and it was a lifetime study with Labrador dogs. And the only difference was how the dogs were fed, whether they were just fed as they wanted or if they were fed measured food. The difference it made to those dogs, the dogs who ate measured meals every day over 12 years lived on average three years longer and had significant fewer health issues than the dogs that were fed ad lib. So it really does make a huge difference in how the quality of life and the length of life if we can just prevent obesity. Well, I believe my quality of life has improved after talking to the both of you. Thank you so very much. Uh, Dr. Vicki Carmella, uh, Director of Scientific Affairs at Blue Buffalo. Dr. Britannia Jones, Director of Technical Services East, but not West, at Blue <laughs> Buffalo. Thank you both very much. Thank, Thank you, Steve. We appreciated the conversation very much. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access the new toolbox items, and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, how lucky are you? And you can learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. 